Good morning, Catalyst. There's three of you are awake, that's great. Morning, Catalyst. Is it still morning or is it? I don't know what the time is here in Queensland because my, my watch says five past 12, but anyway, it's five past 11. Everything's good. You have a good morning so far? Okay, let's hope I don't ruin it for you. I really, uh, I really appreciate the invitation to be here. I don't um, move around churches. I know, you know some pastors like to get out and do that. Um, I don't get the opportunity to do that very, very much, so I, I deeply appreciate uh, Carl and Jessica giving me the opportunity to come um, to speak with you today. Um, and uh, I have a high regard for their leadership. I sincerely do. And uh, I look to Carl for some innovative things to make sure that my life and my ministry stays fresh. You've got a great senior pastor. I also, of course, have a deep respect for Philip and Mandy. I've known them for quite a long time. And uh, even uh, Pastor Trevor Chandler. Um, I've only recently come to know him personally, though I've known him for many, many, many years uh, and have a deep respect for him as well. And in a sense, we all stand on his shoulders in this movement of A to A. I love the heart that uh, this church has um, for the kingdom of God, for lost people. I love the fact that, you know, you are into compassion and hope ministries. It's not every church uh, puts that on their agenda, and I honour you for that, and I'm so glad to be here today to share your heart. You know, the human heart, while we're talking about hearts, is an amazing thing. Uh, it beats about 100,000 times um, every day, about 3.5 million times a year, and uh, if you live to an average age, uh, about 2.5 billion times in your life. That's 2,500, 2,500,000,000 million times. A billion is a thousand million. So 2.5 billion times in your lifetime will your heart beat. Even at rest as you are now, reclining and enjoying a wonderful church service, your heart is actually working harder than the leg muscles of a runner. It's quite amazing to think about. Um, and it's pumping about 5.6 litres of blood around your body three times every minute. So your heart is quite an amazing, amazing muscle in your body. But recent research uh, amongst particularly heart um, transplant recipients shows that it's far more than just a muscle. Now intuitively, intuitively we talk about the heart as I have a heart for this or my heart broke, we're talking about our feelings and emotions. But what they found out is that uh, transplant recipients actually get a transplant of emotion at the same time as they get a transplant of a muscle. And it's been known from studies that they can take on even the, the food cravings of their donor. They can even take on some of the habits of their donor. Uh, one guy I read about had a, a nervous tick uh, and uh, he died in, and he donated his heart in a transplant operation. And, and the person who received it started, you know, doing the same thing. And his family noticed, what's this, that come from? And he, he didn't even know his donor. So it wasn't like he was copying. It was just that there's something in the heart, which uh, we don't quite understand yet in this generation. But the heart has a mind of its own. And the biggest thing, of course, about transplant uh, recipients, and I met uh, a lady here uh, in the first service who was actually a heart transplant transplant recipient and thankfully she confirmed all of what I'm telling you to be true um, but they want to honour the donation they, they have a strong almost supernatural almost illogical sense and drive to honour the life of the person who donated their heart to them 
And as I said, many of them don't even know who that person is. And so it translates into them wanting to live their life well, wanting to make the best of the donation and to not waste the opportunity in the life that they've been given. Because life is an amazing gift, isn't it? It's an amazing gift full of mem memorable moments. Just tell a person next to you, you're a memorable moment. That didn't even sound very sincere. Because it's true, we are memorable. We are, we are one of a kind. We are miraculous beings, each and every one of us. But despite how amazing this whole talk of you know our heart and then the, the ability to actually transplant a heart into someone else and for them to continue on with life, as amazing as that is, I find personally that it's hard to top the miracle of new life. It's hard to top the time when someone comes into a relationship with Jesus and submits their life to him and begins to follow his ways and teaching. Um, there's something miraculous about that because that's not the natural course of our life to do that. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, as he did upon me many years ago, and that person changes the direction of their life towards God, I find that one of the most amazing miracles for a couple of reasons. One is it sets off um, a chain reaction that has eternal consequence. I, I come from a, a non-Christian family by and large, uh, which has a long um, history of alcoholism at every level, um, and, and quite, quite sad really. And so uh, when I came to Christ at the age of 18, that just turned me around and freed me from that uh, kind of destiny, I suppose, that was uh, would have been expected of me as a young man just to drink and then to drink myself into oblivion like everybody else. It just has this chain reaction. And I can see that chain reaction now spreading through my children and, and God willing, my children's children in time. When we submit our lives to Jesus and we acknowledge his heart for us, he, he gives us a new heart towards the things of God. And all of a sudden, we're not just focused on ourselves, but we start, like the heart transplant recipient, starts to think about the things of the donor. We start to think about the things of our spiritual donor, who is Jesus. We start to think about his heart and what breaks his heart. And our heart moves towards those things. And among other things that God is deeply interested in, he has a deep heart for the poor. And so when we start to walk with Jesus, we become aware of these things. And I wanted to talk to you this morning about what that looks like and, and why it's important to have a heart for the poor. Uh, just a few points to begin with. Firstly, what does a heart for the poor look like? Uh, it looks like a heart that's marked by compassion. Do you want to know, well, Rick, how do I get a heart for the poor? How do I know I have a heart for the poor? Uh, do I have to go to Zimbabwe and spend all my life as a missionary there? Well, no, you don't. You, you might. <laughs> don't say God to God. I know this. Now I'll never go to Zimbabwe. Just never say that because God uses that. But your heart should be marked by compassion because that is what marks the heart of Jesus. In the Bible, in Ezekiel, uh, it says, The Lord says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, before 
I committed my life to Christ and, and I had no religious background and no understanding of the gospel and I didn't know what giving your heart to Jesus meant. I went along to a, a rally. I didn't even know what a rally was. I thought there'd be cars there because you know, that's what you do in, in rallies, but it was people singing Christian songs. And, and it was kind of amazing, but that someone preached the gospel and, and the Holy Spirit fell on me and I received Jesus. Totally sight unseen. Uh, it was an amazing transformation. But I realized that I'd had a heart of stone towards the things of God. I never even thought about God from day to day. And then once, you know, God was gracious to me and came into my heart, uh, my heart changed towards uh, his, his thinking. And, and like the heart transplant recipient, I started to want to honor the donation that Jesus had made for me. And, and in a sense, it wasn't a donation. Now, it's a difference like the difference between you're going to have eggs and bacon for breakfast. You know, the chicken makes a donation, but the pig makes the sacrifice. You know what I mean? Um, so it's kind of like Jesus made the total sacrifice. He didn't just donate part of his time to me. He, he donated, he gave his whole life. And as a result of that, I have a new spiritual heart. And I found myself just wanting to please God and to know God and, and to just wanting to honour that donation in my life. And I know that's the same for a lot of people who come into a relationship with Jesus. And we start to feel what Jesus feels and the principle, I think the principle feeling that Christ has is reflected in the Bible is his compassion. You know, when I first went to Papua New Guinea, about 1991, I, I confess, uh, I did not go with a big heart of compassion for Papua New Guinea. Uh, I went to check on our investment. Uh, that's a little hard to say, but I'll be truthful with you. Uh, we had been giving money to a small uh, work there that a local pastor was doing for a couple of years, and, and uh, I became the senior pastor, and I went, you know what, I want to know where our money's going. What's our money doing? I mean, I get a letter every now and then telling me about what he's doing, and, but... You know, I, I think I should go and just make sure that we're getting bang for our buck. You know, sh shameful as it is to say that um, to you now. But it wasn't out of a heart for the poor. But as I met the people and I heard their stories and I saw their condition, my heart changed. God changed my heart because he had a heart for them and he was revealing something to me and my heart changed. I and mean, I knew the statistics. I'm going to share some of them in a minute. We've all seen the television advertisements for World Vision and stuff. Uh, I knew the statistics, but not until God changed my heart did those statistics become real for me. Um, and so my heart began to be marked by compassion. The second thing that I believe uh, 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 sort of denotes a heart for the poor is that you have a heart that's motivated by hope. Not just wanting to go and do a good thing or... You know, to, to oh, well, I'm, I'm going to train this, or I can do that, or whatever, or we should, you know, help these poor old, poor old people. Not just out of that normal kind of heart, but out of a heart that's motivated by communicating the hope of Christ through the gospel to people everywhere. That's what I believe a true heart for the poor is. Because we can go and do good works anywhere, but unless it's motivated by the hope of Christ, it's not regenerate in people's lives. I wonder whether you've ever thought about what life would be like without the hope of Jesus. I know that's a huge question to ask on a, a Sunday morning, but you know uh, it is worthy to think about sometimes. You know, if Jesus had never lived, what would that mean? Because I think personally, 
and, and from my study that the life of Jesus, that, that one man, that God man, changed the world like no other human being has ever impacted the world, uh, ever in the past and perhaps since. Um, you know, the life of Christ has, has impacted and shaped the world in politics, in science, in medicine, environment, poetry, the arts, education, literature, um, music, religion, law, agriculture, farming, industry, all these areas of human endeavour have been significantly changed by the life of Christ as he has impacted and brought a whole new life ethic to, these, to the way of doing things. And, and the way that we even see a human life is totally changed by the life of Christ. You know, they say that faith in Jesus Christ, when we take on you know, the faith in Jesus Christ, we can change the world. And that's true. Leo Tolstoy, a famous Russian writer, says it best that we always think about changing the world, but nobody thinks about changing themselves. And really the hope of Christ has to mean something in us if it's going to mean something to others. Otherwise it's hollow, it's insincere. And so a heart for the poor, when we're marked by compassion, we have to be motivated by hope, not just because it's a good thing to do, but because it's the hope of Christ that needs to be carried to the world and to the poor because they've got to climb over and climb through a whole bunch of stuff that, that we as well-fed um, you know, well-looked-after white people never have to even think about. And so a heart that's motivated by hope, I think, is the key to having a heart for the poor. I'll put it this way. If, if in terms of our Christianity, if faith is our foundation and love is our hallmark, then hope is the gift that God gives to us that we pass on to others. God works through us, his hope in us, to those who need him the most. The Apostle Peter said it this way in um, his first letter. He says, but in your hearts, interestingly that he said uh, that word in this verse, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. It's the hope of Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world that will carry us into effectiveness when we decide we have a heart for the poor. If we're marked by compassion, if we're motivated by hope, then we'll be on track to working with the poor as God wants us to. You know, Gateway, the church that, that I am privileged to be part of, is committed to bringing the hope of Jesus to the world. Uh, we have a theatre company, and its motto is telling stories of hope and redemption and uh, we have a children's fund, and their motto, if you like, is creating outposts of hope uh, uh, amongst the poor, uh, specifically in Papua New Guinea. We've been working there for about 22 years. I started with a fellow called Pastor Kiat and supporting him, and, and over that time we've built four churches there and have four vibrant congregations. Uh, but in the early 2000s, Pastor Kiap and I, in a retreat, sat down and said, you know, we've really got to do more. We, we've got to move beyond welfare to development. How do we do that? And so, um, you know, we, we put our heads together and we talked to people at World Vision, we talked to people at Compassion International, and we came up with a Gateway Children's Fund to focus our energies on those that need it the most, the most vulnerable amongst the poor are children and women. 
And so we decided uh, we would focus in on ministry to children. We didn't care if their parents were drug addicts, murderers, whatever they were. Not a child is not responsible for who his mother or father is, and they deserve help. And so we decided we would focus on children, particularly children in urban slums in Papua New Guinea, in the capital of Port Moresby. I'm really delighted to be able to say that uh, since 2007, the Gateway Children's Fund being formed is now internationally accredited child development agency. It's not just a little thing that we do every now and then. It's fully accredited with AusAid, which is now part of DFAT in the um, Australian Government uh, International Aid Program, and we're fully registered and accredited and criteriaed with ACFID, which is the peak body in Australia for all international works and donation. That's the Australian Council for International Development. And it, it's, uh, it's a tough criteria. Um, it involves auditing and a whole range of things, but Gateway Children's Fund ticks all those boxes, and so I can recommend it to you. It's not just some you know, fly-by-night thing. In our Children's Fund, we have directly 100 children that we help every day. We, we look to their health care, we feed them every day, we have nutrition, immunisation, education, and we also do community development um, in the places where they live. We put in water tanks and toilets and power, and, and we help hundreds of more children beyond those who are actually registered in the project. We help their brothers and sisters, we help their mums and dads, we help their cousins, we, we help the wider community. If they don't come to church, we're out there. And Carl and I were just there a few weeks ago walking around the community. It's, hi, Pastor Rick, how are you going? And, and all that sort of stuff. And who's that strange-looking fellow with you? That, uh, that was Carl. But, um, you know, I can walk around. I'm probably one of the only white men that can walk around in that area safely. Because I've been doing it for 22 years, and they know who we are. They know that we don't just come to give them that. You know, a handout that a help up, and we're there and we deliver on the hope of Jesus. So, marked by compassion, motivated by hope, a heart for the poor must be measured by action. I've come to believe this quite strongly. Uh, Australia, Australia, American pastor Erwin McManus says this When hope motivates the hearts of God's people, they become the servants of a lost and broken world. When we allow the hope of Christ to touch us, servanthood flows from us and he says that we apply our time talent and treasure that god has given us to that cause um, put it another way you would have read in the scriptures i'm sure faith without works is dead you know hope must translate into action or christ died for no good reason if, if he died for us and he's motivating us to engage with the world not just to know him and to sing his songs but to have a heart for the things that motivate the heart of God. And one of those things, as I said, is a heart for the poor. We must act. We, we, can't, we can't do nothing. We must do something. And that's what Pastor Kiap is saying to me all the time. And what he says to his people in Papua New Guinea, even in, in the local churches, we must do something. Um, as Bethany, my daughter, said there, we can't do everything, but we can do something. We must do something. I said another way, to have a heart for the poor, we must add behaviour to our belief. We must focus our time, talents and treasure and include the poor in our giving and include the poor in our prayers and include the poor in our actions. And not everybody can go to Papua New Guinea, but some can, and if you can, you should. You know, the uh, writer in the Old Testament Proverbs was aware of people's reluctance to use their means to help other people. 
And, and he said this, he said, it is possible to give away and become richer. We think we give money or we give time and it goes away from us and it, it doesn't come back to us. Well, maybe it physically doesn't, but it translates into some other kind of blessing. And the, the Proverbs writer says it's also possible to hold on too tightly and to lose everything. Um, you know, Jesus said, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And then the writer says, the generous person shall be made rich by watering others. They too are watered. And having a heart for the poor means being prepared to water others who, who don't have that. Author Mark Battersby said, there is a subconscious lie that some Christians buy into, that when it comes to giving, we can never give enough, so we don't give anything. But he says, the truth is, we may never have enough. We may never be enough. We may never do enough. But don't let that keep you from giving what you have, being who you are, and doing what you can. Put your energy where God leads your heart, he says. And God led our heart to Papua New Guinea through a connection with a humble little pastor called Keat um, over 22 years ago. It's a heart connection. He is now um, perhaps my dearest friend. Um, we say that we're brothers from different mothers. <laughs> He, he was born in the sun, I was born in the shade, that's why he's brown and I'm white. Um, but I just thought I'd orient you to Papua New Guinea, because when we say Papua New Guinea, what does that mean that's kind of up there somewhere? Well, let's have a look at a flag and a map. The flag is uh, black and red and yellow on the left there. They love bright colours, the bird of paradise, Southern Cross. And on the right is the map. A little pointy bit at the bottom is Queensland, that's you guys. But look how close you are to Daru. Look how close you are to the Papuan coast. Sometimes we forget that, and off to the right there is Port Moresby, the capital where the majority of the Children's Fund work goes. Let me just tell you a little bit about that country, which is our nearest northern neighbour. It's been an independent country since 1975. Before that, Australia used to uh, look after Papua New Guinea as a protectorate for the Commonwealth, uh, and Marcy's grandfather was actually one of those administrators that used to help um, look after Papua New Guinea uh, post-war. That's another story. It has a constitutional government, but it's unicameral, which means it's only one house. They don't have a two-house thing like we do. Population of 7 million, which is more than New Zealand. But they have over 800 separate languages. Not dialects, but 800 separate languages and cultures and dances and songs and feathers and paint and religions and customs and all that sort of stuff. It's a very, very complex place for a small place. Their economy is 85% subsistence farming, but those who leave the land looking for, you know, looking for nirvana in, in, the, uh, in the cities uh, move from a tribal system to urban poverty very quickly, and 70% of people living in the capital of Port Moresby are unemployed in any way. It's a massive disaster. Educationally, and this blew me away, this is the up-to-date latest statistic, uh, boys, if they're over the age of 15, half of them will never go to school ever, ever. Like if they live another 50 years, they will never ever go to school. And what's worse is, for girls, it's 70%. 70% of teenage girls will never ever go to school. And that has a devastating effect on a country when there's that level of illiteracy uh, and rolls down through the children and. And that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to break that. Um, Health-wise, there's no government health care. There's no Medicare card, there's no Medibank private or whatever it is that 
GIO or whatever you're with. There's no social safety net, there's no unemployment benefits, there's no supporting mothers, there's no anything in that country. Um, there's not even any preschool education. There is primary and secondary, but there's no preschool education run by the government, only rich people can buy it. That's why Gateway Children's Fund focuses in on that end of things. There are five doctors for every 100,000 people in the country. It's Australia's like 35 or something. Uh, there's only 13 dentists in the whole country. 13, one three, among seven million people. Malaria is the leading, leading cause of illness and death. There's about 1.8 million cases currently. There's one-fifth of the people at any one time are debilitated by malaria. And of course that has other effects on the organs of the body and the brain and on and on it goes. And here's something that not many people know. There's a lot of attention given to Africa and so there should be. But the situation of AIDS in Papua New Guinea is worse than sub-Saharan Africa. In fact, the UN have just registered Papua New Guinea as uh, being uh, at epidemic status when it comes to AIDS. It's out of control in the country. Um, maternal mortality, which is one of the focuses of the Millennium Development Goals of the United Nations. Maternal mortality is um, about 250 mothers for every 100,000 babies born die. 250 mothers. In Australia, it's eight. So it's a disaster there at the early childhood level. And when it comes to children, if they can are born and their mothers stay alive, if they're under five, 69 of every 1,000 children die in the first five years. In Australia, that's four. 69 children die under five. I'm really pleased to say that in the Children's Fund over the years, we've only ever had one death amongst the children who were in the program. And that child came to us with encephalitic TB, which means he had TB in the brain, which is a terminal thing. So we just cared for that child uh, for a number of months until he died. So technically we've had a death in the Children's Fund, but he came to us terminally ill. So how does the Children's Fund operate? On your seats you'll find a little brochure you can uh, look at now or you can look at later, but you can open it out and in the middle you'll see the levels of our program. Just to give you an overview of what we do. Um, according to the Millennium Development Goals, infant and maternal care is the number one goal for third world countries. So we're right there at the coalface with infant and maternal care, teaching mothers simple things about how to deal with conjunctivitis and stuff, but giving immunisation, food, hygiene and family support. A lot of these mothers are single mothers, a lot of them are abused by their, their husbands that's practice in that country, they have multiple wives. and So we're there right at the coalface helping that. The next level up is preschool wellbeing for four to six year olds and we have two levels. We have what you'd know as a playgroup and then what you'd know as a kinder. Uh, and we are still giving health care. Uh, we try to prep the kids for school and we're trying to develop community. We're working with mums and dads and local people on valuing children. It's just not automatic in that culture. And then we're doing elementary school. That starts next year. I'm very proud of that, which is focusing on what we'd probably look at prep school at primary, and it's literacy-based, teaching them English literacy because they learn in school in English now. And about 70% of kids who actually get to primary school, if their parents can afford the fees, it's not free, they drop out after a year or two, 70%, because they can't cope with a foreign language. 
They have their talk place or their, their natural language, one of the 800. They talk pidgin English, which is uh, like a trade language in the country that you know, helps the country to communicate across racial lines. And then they learn English, it's their third language. Uh, and they really struggle. So we're there teaching them to read, write, and speak English so that by the age of six, they can do all those things. You saw some kids in the video writing English down. And when they get to the school, they stand out. You saw one of the, the principals there talking on the video. He knows a gateway kid when he comes because they're healthy and they're literate and they usually start two classes up from anybody else. And all of our kids are still going and doing well in school. We do leadership development. Once a kid gets to primary school, we let the parents uh, you know, carry, carry. That's important that parents do that. But we, we pick out some kids down the track who, for leadership development, all of our staff have come from the program. We've, we've uh, trained them in their, in their schooling. We've given them tertiary training in primary health care, uh, and some of them in teacher training, others in business. And a few uh, leaders, you saw Elizabeth there talking to Bethany, uh, she uh, has been in the program all her life. She came and did a business degree in Port Moresby. She came this year and stayed with my family for six months and learned how to translate that learning into becoming a church administrator. Now she's back in country helping me run the children's fund. Um, that's just one story. Another story, Lillian has been in the program since she was eight. She's a gorgeous little girl. She's now a qualified doctor. She's doing her first year of residency in a hospital in Papua New Guinea, and when she finishes that, she wants to specialise in paediatrics and come and work for Uncle Rick, which I think is pretty cool. So, you know, um, that's another level. And then community projects, obviously, water, sanitation. Uh, and not for church people, you know, not, not just for the people whose kids are in the program. We just do it in their community, talk to the local leaders and go, you need water, you need whatever. And try and raise some funds and do that. We're not sponsorship-based, like, you know, put a kid on your fridge kind of thing, which I respect, but it's not the way that we have chosen to go. We are project-based. We have a whole bunch of kids and a whole bunch of families and a whole bunch of villages, and we create a community-based approach to uh, eradicating poverty, which the people there own, all built around a local church, a local gateway church and the pastor and the leaders and the people. They all contribute to providing this outreach into their slum settlements, which is known as the Gateway Children's Fund. So we're looking for an in-country solution. Is it effective? Let me just finish with a few stories, uh, one that you've already seen on, on the DVD. But let me tell you about Sonny. Sonny's a great young man. He came to us as an early teenager. He, um, his mother uh, died of AIDS and his father ran away. He was given to his grandmother, called Bubu Mama, to look after, and she died of TB. And so they sent him to the big city to be with an uncle, loosely, to, loosely defined, to look after because he was the closest kin. And from the beginning, he was abused by that man for many years. So Sonny eventually ran away. When we started the church in his settlement about eight years ago, he ran away and came and hid under the church building. <laughs> and we found him there. He's pretty emaciated and you know not really well. So we took him in, the local pastor kind of just adopted him as a son, fed him, and then he started helping out doing chores and we put him in primary school for a couple of years and, and then um, he, he grew up and he accepted Jesus. He, he made a, a personal commitment after watching and looking and, and very powerful testimony of um, you know release and, and uh, yeah, just, just an amazing story. 
Uh, we went on to give him uh, training at YWAM. He did a discipleship training school. Then he did six months as in teacher training. Uh, not a big degree, but enough to help him. And we, he now runs the curriculum in, in the local school. And he's our main teacher. He's just got a big heart for kids. It's all over him. He's a natural teacher. From someone who's never had a father, who's been really poorly treated, he has such a natural compassion for people. And recently he got married. Um, and, uh, you know, we're very happy for him. And uh, just uh, in my last trip there, he said to me in tears that he was leaving because he just secured a position as an assistant pastor in another church. Um, and he just wanted to thank us for loving him. It's a great story. It's a bit like a son who's had kids grow up and leave home, you know, so hard thing, but we love you. Now this story is a story of Atano, a little girl, and her brother Dominic. Her mother died of TB last year, and unfortunately passed it on to all the children before she died, which is not uncommon. The father was devastated and unable to cope with all the children, so we arranged to put the kids into the hospital, and they do have TB medication there. The children were in hospital for six months, both Atano, who's in our program, and her little brother, Don, who wasn't technically in the program, just a baby. Um, but in PNG hospitals, they, you don't get fed, you don't get water, you just get medication, someone looks at you every now and then. That's a tragic situation. So our girls off their own bat, our nurses uh, fed that family every day for six months, went in every day, above and beyond the call of duty. Um, and brought a meal to the dad and the other children and then to these two children and, and clothed them and, and bathed them and all that sort of stuff. And if you go to PNG, you'll see little tents outside where families gather to, uh, because they, their families need them to keep them alive while they're in hospital. It's an awful situation. And then um, those kids got healthy now. They're out of hospital and back in the program. And then Jack's story you saw there, he was orphaned and abandoned, just wandering around the slum and someone found him and brought him to the church and uh, again the local pastor adopted him and, and Jack now, I think we might have a before and after photo of him, he's the on the right, third on the right hand column, third from the bottom. So one, two, three, we'll go with his hands up like that. That's Jack, ha happy and healthy and he was emaciated when he came to us as a baby. So we try and keep him alive, we try and keep him healthy and we keep him literate. It's a launching pad for life. So that's a little bit about how we operate. I just wanted to finish in, in a minute by saying we're delighted at the Children's Fund that Carl and Jessica and this church are wanting to really partner with us. It's such an important work. There's such a lot to do. And sometimes, you know, I look back, Carl, over the 20 years and I wonder whether we're doing anything really when I see the need. Thousands of children in that slum who need us and we, we only can care directly for 100, probably 500 in total. Um, but I'm delighted that Catalyst wants to help. What does that mean for you? Well, it means being informed. So we've given you a brochure which has a little story on it and there's a website you can get on for more information. You can sign up for e-news and get regular reports. I think every two or three months an email will come out telling you what's up to date in the program. Please be prayerful. I know there's a lot of things to pray for, but if you could just think of um, the Children's Fund and the staff there working under extremely difficult situations, uh, I would really appreciate that, uh, your prayers for their safety in particular because it's not a safe place uh, that we operate. We're in the slums, we're not in the safe suburbs, 
um, and uh, it's, uh, it's incredible work. And you can be available, you can make your resources available, whether it's your, your donations or your time. And I wanted to just finish by talking about a trip that we're planning in November next year. It's a three-week trip. We're not sure yet when everybody needs to be there for three weeks. We're thinking maybe of rolling teams through because we want to build um, a little house, not unlike that one there that we've done before. It'll be built underneath another house. You know the houses on the sticks, on the poles? We're going to build in around that. We're doing that for another mission. We're going to bless them um, and uh, because they need to have a little flat for their workers and to raise some money from the rent. So we're going to go and do that and then they're going to pay us to do it. So it means income back. And we're not in the business of you know building construction, but it, it has a direct impact for us. So if you were to come on that trip, your contribution in time and, and uh, money will directly have a big impact on the Children's Fund. And, and uh, Carl is already thinking about organising people to come. Uh, we need chippies, electricians, concreters, plumbers, and general handy people who can swing a hammer and, and um, not hit themselves on the farm. Probably going to take a team of about 15 to 20. Um, and we're really still forming this now. It really depends on how we shape it, on who comes and how many we get. But it's about $2,500. It's a lot cheaper than going to Africa, but it's still not the cheapest. But as I said to the previous service, it's not a holiday in Bali, so you don't expect it to be at discount rates. But it includes all your airfares, your accommodation, all your meals, your transport in-country, the materials that we use, your travel insurance. It includes daily team meetings, regular cross-cultural mission or Bible studies where we actually study cross-cultural mission. It includes visits to the Gateway Children's Fund sites, to our churches, and then as a special tag on the end, uh, we're going to visit the, uh, where the Kokoda track finishes just outside of Port Moresby and visit the War Memorial, which is always a great experience for the teams we take. Um, you've probably got one of these little bits of paper somewhere in your information pack today or whatever if you're interested. Even if you're interested in being interested, <laughs> you don't have to say definitely. Uh, just if you're interested, could you please fill that in and take it to the go desk um, or return it to the church as soon as possible. And that will give us just a bit of a database to know what we're working with here. It's been such a privilege coming and compressing all of that into a short period of time. And I hope it's been enough for you to get a sense of what God's on about through the Children's Fund in Papua New Guinea. It's a, it's a, a very blessed and privileged thing to be able to work with the people in that country. I love them dearly. Um, I love them with all my heart. And it's such an awesome thing that another church would want in some way to connect and to help us there. Uh, it's hard to describe how thrilled we are that Carl and Jessica are saying, yes, this is a compassion ministry that, that we believe in. Carl's been there and seen it for himself. Um, Pastor Philip has been there and seen it for himself we can only recommend it to you. And I look forward to developing the relationship, you know, in mission trips and maybe in many other ways with this church. I really appreciate you guys. Let me just close in prayer. If you'd like to bow your heads with me, that'd be awesome. Father, um, you know, history to you is like a blimp. Uh, it's just a, a blip on the, the eternal timeline. And, you know, we say we've been somewhere for 20 years and, and really that's such a small amount of time in eternity yet we want to honor you Lord. We, we simply want to use the time that you give us well we want to take the compassion that you have for us uh, and we want to be motivated by the hope that is in you 
to take action on behalf of the poor because we know that the poor are on your heart. Um, Father, help us to, to be honourable in what we do, to be bold and faithful in what we do. And Father, I just pray, uh, particularly for our staff in Papua New Guinea at the moment who are going through a particularly tough time with some uh, racial tension in the city. I really pray for their protection. I pray for goodwill to continue towards the Children's Fund as people realise that we're not there for ourselves but for them. Uh, and I pray for Catalyst Church that as they take up the heart for the poor through this particular fund, that you would bless them and return to them in, in multiple ways, uh, blessings that uh, they had never even imagined would come to them as a church. Uh, and may God, uh, God, may you bless them uh, even today for being part of this journey. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. God's people said. Let's just put our hands together for the